Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning and we are pleased to be joined by Scott Dolch, Executive Director of the Connecticut Restaurant Association. Good morning to you. Good morning, Aaron. Thanks so much for having me. This weekend, we are back to phase 2.1 of Connecticut's coronavirus restrictions. What does that mean for restaurants around the state? Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's 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 disheartening, a little disappointing to, to know we're going to roll back. Um, so our restaurants will have to go back to uh, 50% capacity. Um, you know, the private event uh, parties in our industry, which we have a lot, will go from 100 to 25 uh, for indoor um, and then uh, there's also uh, a time frame that they want all businesses in the state to close. Um, and our restaurants will, will, as of right now, need to be closed by 930 um, so people can be home for, I guess, a stay-at-home advisory from the governor from 10 o'clock at night to 5 in the morning. Now, I understand the, the 930 closure deadline applies to restaurants that serve alcohol. They have to close their dining rooms. Is that right? They do, um, you know, and, and then obviously they can stay open for takeout and delivery, um, but the alcohol sales has to cease at, at, at that at that time um, for late night. Um, obviously, you know, talking, I guess the, the reasoning behind this with, with the governor and public health is they're trying to limit, you know, the, the late night, uh, I guess, uh, parties that are going on, people at houses, people you know, getting back to their homes. Um, and, and this is, I guess, a way that they can do it. I think there's there's some changes I'm hopeful we can we can accomplish here to that still continue to, to solve what, what they want to get done, but also not hurt our industry as a whole. I understand there has been a petition circulating related to the 930 closure deadline. Is the Restaurant Association involved in that? We're not involved specifically with the petition. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, I, 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 you know, as I told a lot of our restaurateurs that have been calling and texting and emailing since the announcement on Monday, of uh, having to have a specific curfew, which we haven't had. Um, we had a nine o'clock weekday and 11 o'clock uh, weekend, um, you know, sale time when we had outdoor dining, if you remember back in, back in May. Um, but, you know, from an association standpoint, um, we aren't specifically involved. You know, I'm, I'm working directly with the commissioner, with Commissioner Lehman, even, you know, reached out to the governor. Um, and, and our ask is a little bit more um, understanding, I guess, where they're coming from, but also not trying to hinder our full service restaurant. So our ask specifically is for Thursdays and Fridays and Saturday nights um, to push that 10 o'clock back an hour to 11. Uh, reason being is um, the majority of our restaurants, especially now at 50% capacity where they have a limited seating opportunity, 
um, giving them that what, what we call in our industry a third turn. You think of a table um, servicing that table. You have guests come in around five o'clock for dinner um, and they clean that table. And the next next seating is around seven. And that last seating is anywhere between 845 and 915. Um, and the problem at that 930 is you lose that entire turn of that table and you lose that, all that revenue um, on those weekend nights, which, to be honest, as I've talked to a lot of our restaurateurs, you know, especially in the wintertime, you know, they, they gain about 50 to 60 percent of their revenue on those three nights. Um, and if they were to lose that third turn, uh, they would lose a third of their revenue. And, you know, that's that's drastic. That's a that's a death blow in a lot of a lot of cases uh, for some of these restaurants that are really on their last leg. The governor has talked about bars masquerading as restaurants. What's your sense of how widespread that is? Yeah, listen, I, I, I think, you know, in reality, it's not. I think the governor's even said it. Um, you know, the majority, you know, I would say 95 to 99 percent of our restaurants are doing the right thing or following our guidelines. You know, I've told I've had multiple webinars, uh, multi, you know, almost every single week we have a couple where I try to talk directly in conference calls to these restaurateurs, um, you know, because the guidelines in a sense, and I, and I share that with our restaurants, like those guidelines aren't just provided by the governor. We've had a seat at the table. We've helped um, tweak the guidelines, tweak these executive orders to not hurt their businesses, whether it was back with, you know, when indoor dining would open, we're talking about, you know, gloves, you know, which safer with washing your hands or talking, you know, about bar seating, how we, how we kind of change those. So, these guidelines are there to, to, you know, put together by all of us and we need to make sure we're following them. Um, and, and I think that, you know, looking at the, the, I don't condone any, any business that's not following the guidelines. I, I, I put that out there. I've sold it to the governor directly, you know, you know, the, the restaurants or the bars masquerading like restaurants and having stand up service, walk up service, people not seated. Um, that, that I'm not okay with that uh, from an association because they're, they're going to ruin it for everybody. And, you know, I, I don't think um, this rollback is specific to that. Um, as, as some people have asked me, I think it's more, you know, in line with the rising cases and, and looking at what Massachusetts and Rhode Island are doing specifically, um, you know, in, in, in lockstep with them with the regionalization. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I know our restaurants continue to be leaders in safety and sanitation. They, they've been doing it for for a while, almost eight months now, um, you know, and providing keeping everyone healthy, you know, and, and understand that too. Look at it. I mean, we've had outdoor dining since May 20th. Indoor dining at 50% capacity has been available in Connecticut since June 17th. Um, and we've continued that. So I'm hopeful that, um, you know, we'll, we'll get a chance to, to you know, possibly tweak these, these executive orders and these guidelines um, to benefit the restaurants and make sure they can make it through these tough times. The rollback from 75 to 50% capacity, how big a blow is that? Were many restaurants able to get to 75% capacity with social distancing? I, I think it's important. I think um, in a lot of ways, Aaron, I think, you know, not every restaurant, um, you have to expense, expense a lot in, in plexiglass and barriers to get to 75%, but restaurants were doing it. Restaurants were you know, looking at how they had outdoor dining and expanding to parking lots and grassy areas and adding tents and never having outdoor furniture before. They're, they're, look, they're looking at indoor the same because they were like, if, if I can, you know, I have to figure out a way to generate revenue, survive. So, you know, I think it's, it's going to hurt the restaurants that started to invest to get above the 50 percent threshold um, that, that they're going to have to go back to that without question. Um, and it's also a consumer confidence side. You know, I think that consumers out there are thinking, oh, well, restaurants are rolling back. They must you know. Why is that? And, and to be honest, that, that, and I continue to press that on the governor, that the, the restaurants are safe. It's a safe environment. 
um, you know, and, and we need our, our Connecticut uh, residents to continue to support us any way that they can. Talk a little more about the investments that restaurants have made, because there are obvious things that people see when they go in, like the, the face masks and the gloves and the hand sanitizer. But some restaurants are making big investments in their H- HVAC systems. Yeah, I mean, it's it's incredible, um, you know, that, that, that the safety steps that these restaurants, are. you know, I hear of new technologies and new things they're offering every day. Um, I, I think that they, they understand. We, we, we'll say this as an association. Our industry, public health is the number one concern. It has been since the beginning, um, you know, and we'll continue to follow that. And you're looking at what restaurants are doing, um, you know, the, the HVAC systems, UV, all kinds of things to, to push air in and out, both inside and then obviously outside um, to make sure there's proper airflow, um, you know, looking at the cleaning sanitation after everyone's every seating to, you know, late nights, things that are going on. I mean, you're looking at, you know, contactless payments, you're seeing all different kinds of technology out there now where, you know, you can scan um, to, to get a menu up there off the, off your cell phone, you can scan to pay, not even having to, to interact with, with your, with your credit card or things like that. So, you know, you're going to continue to see that um, because, you know, and then the Plexi side, the investments are, 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 are substantial. I mean, and looking at, you know, the investment and in plexiglass isn't cheap right now in these COVID times, you know, it's five or six times more expensive than it would have been. So we're trying to partner with local companies that are, that are helping us, um, you know, work with these restaurants, you know, to, to add seating that they can uh, to keep, you know, their, their guests safe, keep their employees safe. Um, Cause that's, that's will continue to be our priority. When it comes to outdoor dining, it seems a lot of the the weekends we've been having, especially you know this weekend included, the the weather has been fairly nice. Uh, how much has that helped, and and what steps have restaurants taken to kind of extend that outdoor dining season further into the cold weather months? Sure. Um, listen, we've been we we're fortunate uh, with this the late summer and and early fall weather that we had, um, without question. Listen, outdoor dining um, helped a lot of restaurants, I guess you know, survive. I can be honest. You know, as you look at, you know, it's it's not been a business model. You know, everyone always says to me, "Oh, outdoor dining looks incredible. Everyone's doing so great." You know, perception doesn't always equal reality, Aaron. I mean, you know, you might see 12, 14 tables filled outside and people waiting. But then when you walked inside, there was still a very limited number of people eating inside. So they weren't getting the tables and the turns they were getting in normal times, you know, and, and, and limited staff. And they're, they're having to make tough decisions. So, um, you know, that that going into I mean, this past weekend, last weekend anyway, um, was was challenging. We had snow on Friday up in the northern part of the state. and We had 30, 40 degree highs on, on, on the evenings. It was it was a dark weekend for um, of possibly what's to come for our industry. As I talk to restaurateurs, obviously this weekend we've got some great weather. Um, I'm hoping we have the warmest warmest November on record um, to help you know with outdoor dining. But you know these restaurants are adapting. They're getting creative. You ask the question on what they're doing. You know they're trying to enclose structures and pump heat in. Obviously ventilation is a concern of of, of the of the DPH, and we're trying to work through that to to try to make sure structures and things that people are doing um, are approved and able to be used. I've seen photos of these igloos and greenhouses being used for, for dining in some places. What are the rules regarding those in Connecticut? Yeah, uh, currently, um, you know, the, the, the Connecticut DCD came out and, and banned uh, small, small structures, igloo structures um, initially, but, you know, we're, we've gone back to them and, and said, you know, uh, what are the concerns? You know, it's kind of the same way we've looked at uh, everything that we've, we've faced during these guidelines and kind of getting, pulling back the curtain and saying, okay, what, what's the concern of DPH with these? And 
obviously it's a lot about it's a lot to do with airflow and ventilation and you know i'm hopeful as we work uh, hand in hand with the dcd and public health um to put together guidelines uh that everyone's comfortable and they can be used because obviously a lot of restaurants started investing in these back in August and September. So to have them be banned last week, um, just right off the, you know, not with any kind of heads up or, or, you know, forthcoming for them, they, they, they lost, they're losing revenue. They're, they're struggling. Like I invested 10,000, $15,000 in, in igloos or these structures, and now I can't use them. So, you know, we're, we're hoping we can, we can find a resolution um, for these greenhouses, igloos, and um, if you're going to enclose them, you know, to pump in heat, because, uh, you know, your guests maybe feel more comfortable or it's a unique experience that you can have that um, work for you and your restaurants throughout the state, um, you know, going into November and into the colder months. I know it'll vary a lot depending on the size of the restaurant, but is there an average outlay that restaurants in Connecticut have had to make to abide by coronavirus restrictions? Yeah, I mean, uh, I can tell you just on the Plexi conversation with with folks that were putting up Plexi inside their restaurants um, between booths or banquettes or, you know, rolling in Plexi or Plexi at the at the bar area between parties. I mean, they were spending they're spending anywhere between like six and ten, eleven thousand dollars. I know, you know, tents renting tents were you know, five to $7,500, maybe larger per month. Um, that was an investment, you know, if they didn't have furniture, I mean, these restaurants are spending and have had to spend, you know, thousands of dollars that they couldn't use. They couldn't use PPP funding. They couldn't use federal dollars, um, to do that. They had to make this investment in hopes that, you know, to follow guidelines to get, you know, and then also in hopes that the customers would come out and support them and, and offset those, uh, expenses that were built up beyond their normal expenses of, of food cost and rent and labor and everything else that that plays such a factor for our industry. So um, it, it's been tough, but, you know, I definitely look at these restaurants saying, Hey, if I don't make the investment, you know, I, I'm not going to get the guests that, that I need to come in and I'm not going to keep people, I'm not going to be able to follow the guidelines. So I'm having to do this. And, and you know, that same way as you brought up the, the kind of the, the smaller structures, that's why I was so disheartening to hear them initially be banned because you know, the, these restaurants were, were, you know, it's hard to find them right now. They were, they were investing in them in August and September with money probably they didn't have, um, you know, to try to set themselves apart as a restaurant to, to bring guests in. So um, there, there are challenges. I mean, there, there's a lot of money that, that has been put in to these restaurants to, to follow guidelines and they've done what's right to keep people safe. And I'm hopeful, um, you know, we can work through some of these uh, little guideline changes and tweaks to make sure we don't hurt the industry as a whole. You are listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Scott Dolch, Executive Director of the Connecticut Restaurant Association. What's the employment picture look like right now in the hospitality industry? How many jobs have you gained back since the worst of the pandemic? Yeah, so taking a step back, um, you know, March, the week of March 16th was probably the darkest week in, in across the country for restaurants probably ever. Um, what I faced of, you know, we, we had 160,000 food service employees in our state, about 10% of the state's workforce um, prior to COVID. Uh, we know over 85,000 of them in the first two to three weeks went on unemployment, um, over half, um, you know, and, and it was such a dark time because, you know, th- these are families. These are the families of, of these businesses, these restaurants. So for restaurateurs to have to let people go because they had to shut down the no fault of their own, was just very difficult. And we've been fighting uh, tirelessly to get to get our staffs back in, in full. Obviously, that has its challenges with limited capacity and only outdoor dining, getting some indoor dining, obviously a rollback um, and heading into the winter and losing outdoor dining is going to play a factor. I mean, I think in September we had like a 7% uptick. 
of bringing people back in our industry, which was a great sign. Um, but I also caution uh, those numbers as well, because, you know, a lot of those staffs in September were being brought in, you know, for, for the outdoor dining experiences and, and people coming out. So, you know, hopefully we can have a surge of people eating inside and start to get people back so we can bring our staffs back. So I don't have the definitive numbers of, of how much is back as of today, but, um, you know, there, there's still well, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of employees that are still um, not able to be brought back. You know, you can just talk about the private event industry, the, our, our caterers and, you know, that side of it, bringing it back from 100 to 25. I mean, we haven't had probably barely many weddings at all, if, if any, um, in our state that have been run by these companies and that entire staff, all those employees, um, you know, haven't been brought back. And, and, and that just shows, you know, so we have to we have to continue to work hard to, to figure out creative ways to, to, to bring that, bring those staffs back. If there's ways on a federal level with the PPP program that was there um, or what else can be done? Because I do, I do worry about that. I worry about the long-term effects of employment in our industry um, after the pandemic, once we do get through this. Talk a little more about the issues facing private event venues in particular, because I imagine it might be a little different than from restaurants. Yeah, it's it's been it's been heartbreaking. I mean, we started a, a private event and catering alliance. Um, obviously, my vice chairman Jonathan Jennings works, with, you know, with the Connecticut Wedding Group, um, and and has been actively involved for for years in our CRA. But we've we've given them more of a voice. Um, I feel like that industry has has been hit hard. There's no other industry that's been hit hard, uh, hands down. I mean, they they lost everything. I mean, the, the wedding Connecticut Wedding Group as an example is down like 98%. They, they had a glimmer of hope on October 8th to go to phase three and had a couple of events um, of 100, you know, an outdoor wedding of like 130 um, that they got in, but it was what, a 25 days before this new announcement that they had to go back, um, you know, and just go back to the drawing and lose everything again. So uh, it, it's it's heartbreaking, um, you know, to see stories of, of these facilities, these caterers that have been around decades, uh, closing their doors, shuttering, um, you know, and, 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 you know, trying to find solutions to help them. And I think right now that the biggest solution has to be financial support from a state level and from a federal level, because obviously it looks like across the, across the country, um, large private scale events um, are, are going to have to wait until probably after a vaccine um, and we get through this. So, you know, they're, they're going to, they, they've, they've held on as best they can for eight months, but they're going to need um, additional financial support. Um, in the in the coming weeks, to to not have to close their doors and make it through and get to the 2021, you know, possible wedding season and private event season. Now, the state has launched a program to offer financial assistance to restaurants and other small businesses, but you feel it it falls short even compared to some other states in the region. Tell us what is being offered and what you would like to be offered. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been talking with with the governor and the commissioner of DCD for for months now um, about the CARES Act funding, asking questions because obviously, you know, we knew with with you know not even to get into the presidential election, but everything bipartisan. Uh, there's not much bipartisanship down in DC. Um, we knew that another round of stimulus, you know, is, is on hiatus. It's been on hiatus since the PPP was passed, really back in late May, second round in June. Um, that money is run dry and. You know, the, the state uh, launched a program, a $50 million a small business grant program. They are grants, um, but they're limited to $5,000. Um, and there's a lot of limitations for the hospitality industry. You have to be under 20 FTEs, where in our industry, as we talk about employees and part-time, you know, people count as full-time when you start adding them up. 
Um, there's not a lot of restaurants under 20 FTEs, even the small, the smallest of the small. Um, there is a million and a half threshold that if you're under that, you can still be eligible. Um, but a lot of states around us, the eligibility for the hospitality sector, um, they're eligible. They're, you know, they're, there's a hardship. You know, you have to be under, you have to be over 20% hardship for the year. I can tell you there's not a restaurant that's going to have a challenge of hitting that or a private event venue or caterer. Um, so, you know, but, but at the same time, I don't think the $5,000 I think, you know, while it's warranted for the smallest of small businesses and what they've made it to be, you know, our ask is beyond that. Our ask is, you know, really carving out dollars um, specifically to the to the hospitality sector, those businesses and looking at, you know, dollar figures that, you know, looking at Massachusetts, their programs are offering up to $75,000 in grants um, to restaurants and private event venues. You know, Rhode Island's offering $30,000. They've given out over 350 restaurants have received you know, north of 15000 up to $30,000 in grants, which, you know, our hope is that helps them make it through the winter. Um, you know, and, and if there are CARES Act dollar into the $1.38 billion that our state received um, in federal federal funding back in, back in May, yes, it's been used for schools and testing and hospitals. And, you know, listen, a lot of people have their hand out, but, you know, my worry is, you know, our, our sector of our industry has been hit so hard. Is it getting hit again with another rollback? Um, that our governor will will look at what New Jersey, Maryland, Massachusetts, Vermont, New Hampshire, Maine, Rhode Island, even New York counties, like everyone's offering significant dollars to the hospitality industry. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful for, for not only restaurants, but for the hotels, for the tourism sector, you know, that, that there's an opportunity to build a program um, that can significantly help us and not have closures um, across the state. Certainly the plight of restaurants and the hospitality industry in general has been well publicized. Have you heard stories of, of customers, patrons, you know, doing a, a little extra, you know, giving a little extra in the tip, things like that to, to, to help servers and, and bar staff and, and other folks in the industry? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I want to thank, you know, our Connecticut residents. Um, I think we've, yes, we've led the country in keeping people safe and following the rules and, and people wearing a mask and know the rules in a restaurant and then obviously they can take it off to eat inside. But um, first and foremost, you know, thank you for that. But then also the, the support that, that they've given to these local small businesses in their town, everyone, everyone, you know, has those local restaurants that they know well that they, you know, maybe do, you know, every Friday night takeout with their family or they go and then have a dining experience, you know, once a week or, or every other week um, and, and making sure those restaurants don't close down and, and also supporting the employees in any way that they can, whether that's, you know, leaving, leaving larger tips. And, and, you know, when you do, when you do delivery, obviously the, the tip goes to, to the, to all those staff that, that are still helping you, um, you know, provide that meal. So, it's been great to see. It's been great. The, the outcry of support that our state has provided to these restaurants from a public standpoint, um, you know, and I hope it continues. I hope, you know, I think people understand the national stat one in three people have worked in a restaurant at one point in their life. Um, they understand that they are the lifeblood of our country. And they're, they're the, when you think of a small business, everyone thinks of a restaurant and, you know, what that, what the economic, you know, community visual impact of losing you know, the, unfortunately, the stats that are out there, you know, they're saying up to 30 percent of restaurants across the country don't make it through this pandemic. I mean, that would be a, over 2000 restaurants in our state. We've already seen 600 plus um, that have either closed permanently or have closed without a date of reopening. Um, and, and I don't want to see that. No one wants to see that. And I, I continue to urge 
our, our residents um, to support our, our restaurants any way that they can. Um, you know, they, they, you know, they should know that it is safe to eat inside and it's a great experience um, and see what these restaurants are doing to keep you safe. Um, I think you'll be blown away by, by the efforts that they go to, you know, obviously outdoor dining this weekend. Yes, it's in the sixties, which is great. We hope it continues. Um, take every last advantage of, of the fall and outdoor dining. And then if you come from a vulnerable population, Aaron, you know, we understand that. Or if you live with someone like, you can still support these restaurants. You still can do, you know, takeout, curbside delivery. There's, there's still a lot to, 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 you know, thinking about. I think we're all tired of cooking and being inside our house. Um, you know, it means a lot to these restaurants to the support they've, they've, they've received um, over the last eight months. He is Scott Dolch, executive director of the Connecticut Restaurant Association. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. No, Aaron. As always, thank you guys so much for all you guys are doing of telling our story, keeping restaurants top of mind. Um, and, and we're, we're going to make it through this, um, but we're going to continue to need the support uh, of you guys and obviously everyone here in Connecticut uh, for our restaurant. So thank you. And thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.